You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. I don't want to take away from the beauty and the reality of where we are. And so today you're going to, you won't be able to, you won't be able to help it, but you're going to probably kind of compare and contrast. And what I want to encourage you is that God gave you this on purpose and nobody needs to feel guilty. I dealt with a gentleman. I actually did some counseling for a while, very successful stockbroker. And uh, he was feeling terrible because he knows our story, knows my story. And he's like, what do I do? A guy makes a lot of money. And he just felt that it was a, a terrible thing for him to be making money. He should be on the field. And so I invited him over to my house. I do strategy. I've been able to do a lot of that. I came from corporate America. So we were doing a life plan for him. And it was beautiful at the end of the day. Tears are running down this man. I mean, this guy makes millions and millions of U.S. dollars a year. And tears are running down his face because he realized that God didn't call all of us to go to Sudan. God called us to be everywhere for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And God loves Toronto and this part of Canada so much that he sent you here. So again, this compare and contrast thing that I'm going to get into, it is going to be a seatbelt day, but I want you to understand what's going on is just as real around the rest of the world as it is here, but God knows what he's doing. And I believe that God wants to, to enjoy every beautiful moment we can because they don't stay around forever. So let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the invite that I've been given here, just the graciousness and kindness. And God, you know, we have been trying to coordinate this for a while and we're standing against things that we can't control. We're standing against a global pandemic. We're standing against governments. We're standing against ideologies that differ from ours, but it still is what it is. And the thing that you have been reminded me of lately is that as Christians, we are so blessed to be Americans, whether that is United States or North America up here in Canada. We're just so thankful for all the freedoms that you have given us. And to be able to stand out here like this this morning, but Lord, I am praying that you would penetrate through all the things that we do have. I pray that you would penetrate this morning in our hearts that we wouldn't become hard and numb to the suffering around us, that we'd be the most compassionate people that have ever walked the planet of this planet. Because God, there are people even in our midst this morning that are suffering and they're hurting and it's the love of Christ that compels me to come this morning. And so I ask that your spirit would lead in Jesus' name, amen. I am with far-reaching ministries. The Lord has called us to some of the most extreme places on the planet. We're mostly known for our work in South Sudan. It was uh, pretty much, we, we were in Africa, but South Sudan was predominantly what we were doing for years. And I'm gonna spend a little bit of time here because we are talking a little bit about compare and contrast. And I wanna just kind of take you to where we were and then what God has done next. And my whole message this morning is an encouragement that God doesn't, don't, don't judge a book by the outward cover. Because what God took me from a very broken, incredibly dysfunctional background as a young boy, watching my mom get beat up by drunk boyfriends and husbands and just incredible fear that I lived in. But God used that too inside of me to give me this incredible care for those who are suffering. I just couldn't understand how a man would do that. But don't ever judge a book by the cover because what God would use a guy like me from Southern California in one of the messiest families that you probably have ever met and yet God is now using me all over the globe. And that's the same story for you. And I want to use this as an encouragement for that. And, and another thing that I know too, and I'm going to share a story at the end if I remember, it doesn't matter about age. 
God uses young people and God wants to use old people and older people as I'm getting older. I'll be 60 pretty soon. And, and I'm realizing that there's less time in front of me. But what God has just put so much steel in my back, it doesn't matter about my age. It matters about my availability because what God wants to do in your life is real. God does have a plan for every single person here. Your breath matters to God. But before I get into that part of the service, uh, let me get back to where I was supposed to start. I told you I'm from California. I chase squirrels. So if I can see anybody just like this, if I'm going off on a tangent, it's, you know, we'll be here for three hours. Again, we started in South Sudan. And as a background, South Sudan gained its independence from Britain in 1956. And you would think that when a country gets its freedom, when a foreign power pulls out of that country, that everything would work out well. It didn't. They were at 40 years of declared war and they've been at 60 years of continuous conflict. And it's nothing like America. These are these are villages at the best of their ability are going to be mud huts with grass roofs called tukuls. And they're very, very poor. And, and, and I've been at conflict, too. We've been we've seen as a as people from North America, we've seen conflict. I I was too young, but I remember Vietnam and I remember the other things that we've gone through. I remember 9-11. I remember all the things we've gone through. But one difference uh, versus what I'm seeing here is my conflict for my kids as they grew up was always on foreign land. Their conflict was on their land the entire time. And I don't know what it would be like to have children that had to grow up under that trauma to continue to run. But uh, Africa is a very unique continent. I, I know you guys are pretty good with this, but just bear with me for a second. It's an incredibly large continent and it is so diverse. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of that diversity. The top part is what they call the Horn of Africa and it's predominantly brown skin uh, Arabs, very, very uh, Muslim oriented. Uh, there's a lot of Sharia law up there. And then in the center part, which we break into two sections called the West and the East Africa, it's predominantly what you think when you think of Africa, it's black Africa. And then you get into South Africa and it has its own unique problems with apartheid and everything. But I'm going to take you into South Sudan. South Sudan is a convergence of two worldviews that didn't turn out real well. The, the Northern Sudan is where the money and the power was. And that's where the government was at one point. And they had one goal when they got their own independence. And that was to make all of Sudan um, under go under strict Sharia law. They wanted to convert everybody by weapon or whatever it would take to Islam. What they did to the Christians during that time and even moderate Muslims is really hard for most of us to understand. The merciless, inhumane atrocities that were committed against the poor and the defenseless, it's just so hard for most Americans to put their minds around. But the, during the time in which we were there, over two million people were killed. We don't even know exactly how many people live in South Sudan, but it's roughly between seven and ten million people. But two million, actually about two and a half million people were just slaughtered just because they would not align with Christianity. It was just one of the ugliest wars that you could ever imagine. It was pure evil, the genocide. And it wasn't just army against army. This was literally an army that would come down. And if they came into our village, most of us men would be gone. We were we had to fight in the rebel army to try to stop the, the aggression from the north. And so it left villages with women and the elderly and children. And what they would do in there is just beyond belief. And I'm not going to get into details here because it's just not appropriate. But wherever your mind can take you, I promise you, from what we've had to endure there, what we've seen, what the people have endured, your mind can't even go to those dark places of stuff we've had. But I can tell you when, when you deal with, and, and I'm going to get into a little bit part now, I'm missing all the others, but when you deal with children that were forced at gunpoint to kill their own parents or have be killed and have their siblings killed. And we've dealt with thousands of children that this is how actually happened to. 
I can tell you something, that kind of trauma, you just don't walk into a country, give somebody a meal and a little bit of water and say, I bless you, go in the name of Jesus. That kind of trauma shakes your life. And what we learned a long time ago is that love requires not just words, but it requires action. And we walked with these people for years and we've just seen these amazing transformation stories of these little kids that just were in shock and trembling and fear and now are going to school and doing different things with their life. In 2011, South Sudan got together and they overwhelmingly voted to become the newest nation in our world. They're now called the Republic of South Sudan. And I was, I was blessed to be there. I got to be there when they celebrated. We were on our compound and the chaplains, they were just raising their hands and worshiping and, and dancing before the Lord. And I wish I could tell you that everything turned out well then. You know, they finally got their independence. This 148 different tribes that came together with one goal, and that was to stop the North. You would think that everything would work out well, but it actually got worse. Now we're dealing with, we went from one army that we were dealing with, a very well-armed, uh, well-funded Islamic army, to now we're fight, we have five factions, five of the major tribes that have risen up, and they're killing and, and fighting each other for power and control. And isn't that like hum humans? And I want to use this as a moment. I know you guys are going into an election season. And if you guys ever turned on the news, you probably saw we went through a pretty crazy election season down there. And I am super thankful to be an American. I'm very thankful to be born in the United States. The freedoms, and they're changing, but the freedoms that I have there and even the freedoms that I have here, again, to stand and be as bold as about what I'm going to be is is completely different than what a lot of people have actually had to happen uh, and, and, and I take that freedom so seriously, and I'm going to use every opportunity for my freedom, not for myself, but to be a voice for those who don't have the freedom to be a voice for themselves. But I can tell you that although I'm thankful to be an American, I am a child of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to obey my rules, and I'm going to be the best citizen that I can ever be for, for my nation and for even for your nation. I'm going to try to represent the Lord and, and represent the best of mankind. But I belong to the kingdom of heaven. And although I'm thankful, I don't put my confidence into any man at all because men are fallible. And what I have seen working all over the world that when you give people too much power and control, when you take one man and you just put your confidence behind him, uh, power and control corrupts and it corrupts badly when we just trust him. And I want to encourage you during this election season, you do not align yourself with a man. You align yourself with ideology. You are the light and the salt of the world. We do not follow anybody blindly except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in my world, what I know is that for God so loved the world, he is worth following because everything he did was to make us right with him. We also, in addition to these five factions that are killing, we have another 148 rebel groups that are going around marauding and killing from village to village. We had a group of them even in Nimely where our, our compound is. And, and most people won't come down to Nimely because our compound and we raise up chaplains. Um, we, we have some guys that, well, we just have a lot of guys from the military and most people won't mess with us, although our compound has been bombed and attacked a few times. Compared to the rest of the country, that doesn't happen. But in our village, uh, this is just how amazing our guys are. They are, they are about protecting the, the innocent and the victim, or excuse me, the innocent. And there was a group of people going around our village uh, just recently, and they were doing the same thing. They were marauding. They were killing. They were sexually molesting people. They took a young girl and did some horrible things to her as a group, and then they choked her and threw her in a, in a hole. It was just horrible. But our chaplains a couple weeks ago put together a plan, 
and they went out there and actually captured 30 guys in one day, part of this group, and then captured their leaders the next day, and our city is completely quiet. That's the kind of guys that I get to deal with, even in these situations. People that love Jesus so much that they don't think about themselves, they think about you. If, if our chaplains were in Canada, and if anything ever happened, they'd be the first ones here to try to help you because they have learned in suffering that it's not about them. It is about relieving the suffering of other people so that they can understand what love really is from a relationship with God. Sudan, um, now that it has its own independence, it has now been listed in, in uh, U.S. State Department's top three most dangerous countries in the world. And the extreme poverty in Sudan because of the ongoing constant war for the last 60 years, the unemployment rate in South Sudan is 97%. 97%. Even if you wanted to do something, education, a literacy rate is not there because they were running. There were no schools. There was just poverty, malnutrition, just everything. It's just the wildest thing. We, we try to employ hundreds of people through our ministry because it's the only opportunity that people have to take care of themselves. And I know what it's like. I, I've been through seasons in life where I've had a lot, and I know what it's like to go through seasons where the, the fire touches your life. And, and I had people around to support me and help me, but imagine what it would be like to be in a country where you have zero support. And as Christians, what we found is love has to be practical. You just don't go in and, and, and give an evangelical message and tell people to come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. It doesn't work that way, at least where we serve from. It literally takes walking with people through the darkest of their situations to show them how much a living God would care for them. And I can tell you, white people showing up from America has changed the face of even South Sudan, even with all of its problems. The president of South Sudan comes to our compound. We have generals that come to our church on our compound because they know that this is an organization. We are an organization that we're not there for ourselves. We're there to bring the love of Jesus and try to help transform a nation that has known nothing but turmoil since they're basically their existence. In 1998, and why I think your pastor and I have really connected, there's a, a strong military presence between um, what we do and, and your, your pastor's background. But in 1998, we became the official training arm for the SPLA. That's the, the Southern Army. They have a new name now, but that's what most people know them as, the SPLA. We have trained and deployed over 500 chaplains, pastors, like your pastor, that are serving this morning in frontline combat units. And what makes us a little unique, and, and it may be my tone of voice isn't going to really portray this as well, but since we've just in South Sudan alone, we've had 69 of our team members die in the service of the Lord by bombs and bullets and and, and these aren't just people, these are my friends. These are brothers that I have taken through Bible college and I've laid hands on. And these are brothers that I've stayed up till one o'clock in the morning and they're praying over the church in, in North America because they realize that everything is changing so much. And then to know that they put themselves in harm's way on the front line to, to breathe their last. We have a video that we honor them at the very end. We won't show it today. I'll give it to your pastor and maybe you guys can put it up online. But when I see that, it still crushes my heart because I know these guys. I've shared meals with them. We're gonna do communion. I've had communion with most of these guys to know that they went out again to serve the Lord. Uh, 69 team members um, being killed is unique in itself, but in the first 15 years, again, for contrast and comparison, in the first 15 years of ministry in South Sudan, we had 16 team members die. In the last six, 53. And we fully expect that the, those numbers are going to go up, including with senior staff, Wes and myself, as we go into very dangerous parts of this world. Although we try to be as wise as possible, 
we know that there's a really high probability that somewhere in one of these conflict zones we may breathe our last. But we've counted the cost because without Jesus, without Christ, people have no hope. And I see governments throwing trillions of dollars to solve issues and it's not solving it. And we need all those things. We've got to, we've got to create jobs and schools. We've got to do all that thing. But it is the love of Jesus that changed my heart from a very broken, fearful, selfish little boy to a man that gets to serve hundreds of thousands of people all over the globe. It's Christ that did it. At 19 years old, when I showed up at church, I had no idea how radically my life would be different. It has been an adventure. It has been, it has been tragic too. This has been the hardest journey of my life, but I will tell you, it has been one of the most amazing things. We don't have uh, uh, pictures to show this morning, but I'm going to kind of give you a compare and contrast too. just Calvary Chapel um, or Calvary Cush, kind of like yours, what you guys are called, we're called Calvary Chapel Cush. And we actually have, uh, when your pastor gets to go there, and maybe some of you guys, you'll be able to see it. It's really unique. We started out in mud huts and tents too, and over time, because we're training chaplains, we had to create a base that would be safe. Again, we've been bombed. Uh, our founder's wife was almost hit by a bomb that was dropped from an airplane, uh, and a chaplain threw her into a hole, and, and he ended up dying because of that. But this morning, we've uh, the last couple of years, and the, this morning, about eight hours ago, church happened in, in Nimali, South Sudan. We have about 3,000 people that show up at our church. We have about 12 to 1,800 kids that show up, and and it's not even an American teaching. It's actually one of our chaplains, just an amazing guy. But in the village churches where we serve, there is no question about going to church. It is the only hope that people have in their suffering. Our church is literally like a hospital where people can come in their trauma and they can find healing and then go back into their villages and, and bring that kind of relief. It's just an amazing thing. But our church has walls about that thick. And the walls go up about 15 feet high. We have these we have these outlooks everywhere. And the reason we do that is because where we serve church at during church in America, or at least in Texas, I lived there for a few years. And, you know, they I don't know if you've ever heard this, but Texas are a little bit like cowboys and they love their guns and stuff. I can tell you it's true. I've seen a lot of guns there. So I'll give you a little bit of what I learned in Texas. Our pistols that they use there, most of them carry are these nine millimeters. That's a bullet about that big. It can do some damage. And some of them have 45s. And why am I doing this? You'll understand in a moment. Some of them are 45s, a little bit thicker, can do some damage. What we deal with in South Sudan are 50 calibers. A 50 caliber bullet just hitting me right would rip me in half. And we have to protect the children because they want to come in and get the girls and turn them into, as you can imagine, what they would do to them. And then take the boys and turn them into soldiers, child soldiers. We have to do what we have to do to protect that. We even have a school in Uganda with about 700 children in it. And same thing, we have high walls, we have thermal binoculars that we have to use at night again because we've got to protect the children in, in our church so just a little bit different when we're when we're waking up there you're going to see machine guns with people protecting our church so that people can come and simply just raise their hand or not raise their hand to worship the lord that was south sudan things have changed a lot over the last few years today we're operating in 27 actually 28 countries as of this morning and seven of those are the in the 10 most dangerous uh, uh, nations in the world but what we have found, it's the fearless love of Christ. It changes lives. When you go into the very places that most people are running from, and that's what we're known for, is if there's conflict somewhere, we're trying to figure out how to get in there. There's a couple other countries that you could imagine that we are working overtime trying to figure out how do we get into those countries to bring the love of Jesus to those who are suffering the most. 
But again, it is that fearless love when you walk with somebody, they can't help but ask you one day, why are you here? And when we get to share because the love of Jesus compels me, what God did in my life, the radical transformation, I can't help but to rise up out of my own little, my little own little cascade of the world and come and, and bring this love to people. I have a unique title. I actually lead a division of our, our ministry that we had to create a few years ago, and it's called Ghost Operations. I am responsible for um, the most dangerous countries in the world, from Afghanistan to Syria to you name it, so I do covet your prayers. But I represent the invisible arm of you, the invisible arm of the church, the invisible arm of love to the, the people that are just, they just have no break. They get no moment to breathe like we get this morning. And, and I get to see that. When you live in a country and, and you haven't seen people smile in years because of the trauma, it just changes your whole outlook on life. And I hope someday some of you can come and be part of that because it is it is life changing. I, we're going to get into the word right now. If you don't mind turning your if you have your Bible and I'll read from uh, I'll read from the word here. But I'm going to spend a couple moments or about the next five minutes in Luke chapter 19 verses 11 through 27. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19 and as you're doing that, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. I'm getting a little bit older and I realize uh, I, I still, I enjoy life. I enjoy this. I was just sitting over there with my eyes closed. I was worshiping the Lord because this is just so incredibly beautiful. I, I, I'm just so thankful for all that. But I realize that as I'm getting older, that should the Lord tarry, there is less years in front of me. And as I spend time with my adult children, I just realize that I'm speaking things in their life that I want to make sense, that I want to give them something that they can, they can that would help their life. A lot of times I imagine myself, what would I say to my children or to somebody if I'm counseling and, and I were on my deathbed? And, and I take that really serious. Again, I'm going to be turning 60 pretty soon, and, and I realize that there's less time in front of me. As a little bit of a backdrop for Luke chapter 19, this is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He already knows that he's going to be betrayed by his disciples that he's actually traveling with. He's going to suffer and he's going to die all for love. He knows this is going to be it. And, and I can't help but imagine if I knew if I were, in, and I'm not Jesus, but if I were in that situation, what would I be thinking about? And truthfully, I think as, as tough as I think God has made me, I, I think I would be in fear. I'd be so overwhelmed at the fact of suffering that I don't know if I could say what Jesus did. But Jesus being the Christ, I think it really makes sense for us to listen to this. Again, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And as they heard these things, who? The disciples. He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. So he calls ten servants. He gives them about, according to what we know from history, about a pound of silver. And that was a lot of money back then because poverty rate was much higher it's not really as much today, but it was a lot back then. So he calls 10 servants. He gives them all about a pound of silver. And he, tell, and he says to, to them, engage in business. My favorite translation says, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he went from a nobleman to a king. He ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him saying, Lord, 
Your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done. I want you to hear this. Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. A pound of silver to a poor person, to a poor world, was not very little. But in this, what Jesus is trying to emphasize, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, listen to me, church, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant that rocks me to my core. My words matter. What I say matters. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Why didn't you just do something practical? If you were afraid, why didn't you trust somebody else to do it? Not doing something with it was not an excuse for this man. And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, listen church, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, Jesus on his way to his own betrayal, his own death, he instructs the disciples. And I believe that he instructs me. And, and let me be as bold to say this. And I believe he's instructing you again this morning. He's reminding you very clearly that we as Christians, those who confess Christ as Savior, we're called to occupy, we are called to do until our very last breath. Bible tells me that there's going to be some signs and I'm going to be able to pick up the season in which we are and I'm supposed to be looking up because my redemption draweth nigh. But I also understand that Jesus is also saying is that we don't just get to stop there. We don't get to go in neutral. We don't get to we don't get to retire and go into fourth gear and just coast. That is never a call for a child of the living king. And I'll explain why in a moment. I, I, I've said this a few times. I must be really going through mid-age crisis finally. I'm going to be turning 60 and you know, before I know it. But what I realize is that in my, my short little amount of life and, and I work out, I, I, I hit the gym, I eat really healthy for what I do. It's very important for me as a, as a minister to keep as healthy as possible. So in hotels, I'm not watching the news. Of, I watch a little bit of the news because I got to keep up on that. But I don't watch TV. I hit the gym. I'm spending time in the word of God. I'm doing things to try to keep myself together. But I still realize that this little time that I get, and let's just assume that the Lord should tarry and I get to live till I'm 80. Maybe I get to live till I'm 100. Maybe I just, I got the right genetics and I'm, and I'm eating well enough and I get to live. But what I know is my fate is going to be the same as everybody that came before me. At one day, I'm going to, I'm going to breathe my last. But what the Lord has so driven into my heart that it wakes me up sometimes is this little amount of life that I get is going to somehow affect my eternity that is going to go on and on and on. This little life, this, the 60 years, this matters to God. And I want to encourage you, your, your 20 years, your 50 years, your 80 years, should the Lord tarry your 100 years, although it's just a brief blip, it really matters. It matters to God. And the reason I know that is because for God so loved the world, I'm going to keep coming back to a simple theme because I think sometimes we try to make it more complex than it is. 
for God so loved the world that he gave. And then Jesus told the disciples, and I believe he told us, and he said, and greater things than these you shall do. I'm not even here to, to debate the fact about turning water to wine or raising the dead. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to be that I'm going to take the coward's way out on that one. I'm going to let your pastor handle that. But what I do know at the most minimum is if God so loved the world and when we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, the very first word is love. For God so loved, I believe that Jesus is saying that the greatest thing that we're going to do during our time, this short little blip is we're going to represent, we're going to finish the work that Jesus didn't get to complete in this generation. He got to complete salvation. It's done. But we are the walking embodiment of the love of Christ. At least that is what the body of Christ has been called. There's a season that we have to go from brokenness to mature. And that maturity is through fire. The fires that I have, been, that I have had to endure through life, you would never be able to tell some of the fires that I've gone through. But I have been through fires that literally almost took the, the all the courage out of my life but God was able to take those things in my life and as I trusted him and with tears running down my face taking one step at a time the Lord showed how he used those fires to make me a stronger braver more focused type of individual so that he could use me greater and I want to encourage you with that same thing your life matters because you are the representation at least for whatever time you are up here to the people that are living right now that you are the representation of the love of God for them. He sent you. Fathers, I want to encourage you. I was just telling the pastor, I'm so encouraged to see such a range of age here, but just to see so many young people. Fathers, let me take a moment and speak to you. One of the things that I want to say to you is that I've been able to raise my three children. They're all adults now, and I thank God that I have a great relationship with them. There's been struggles, but I spoke into their lives, and, and I want to say something. Not only does your life matter to God for the rest of the world, but Father, your life matters to God for your family. And, and let me say something. I'm going to shut this so I can walk a little bit. Well, I better not move that. I better not do that. I just want to say this because it's driving. It's such a, a thing in my heart that means something. I had to confront myself years ago because what I, it was just like, I don't know how to explain it. It was almost like this tidal wave that overcame me one day about 10 years ago. And I realized that how much, how many words come out of my mouth, but yet I could look at my life and some of the things that I was the most passionate about when I was alone, I didn't even do those things. And what the Lord took me in that, in that moment and he said, Edward, as a representation of me, it can't be about your words. We are not to be called knowers of the words. We're to be called doers of the word, lest we deceive ourselves. But what the Lord said to me, and it just has so stuck in my heart. He said, would you be the same man if somebody you preached to saw you in an obscure hotel in another part of the world? They just happened to be there. And for three days, they just watched your life. Would you be the same man all by yourself as you are when you speak boldly in front of people? And I'll tell you something. That is my passion. I am just praying before God that the words that come out of my mouth about Christianity so represent my life that there is a congruency and that people that hate the name of Jesus, when they look at me, it's they don't hate me because of the incongruency. I talk one way and live another way. They hate me because of the congruency of my life. I represent Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the passion of my heart. And I'm going to tell you something. I thank God for the fires that he put me through because it's the fires that he put me through to help me realize how desperately I need truth. I'm a truth broker and so are you. 
We're representing the truth of all eternity. We're representing the spiritual. There is no place that we can go right now. We can't even go out to the farthest heavens and, and get away from the spirit of the living God. We can't go into the deepest parts of hell and get away from the spirit of the living God. His spirit fills everything. And what I want God to do in my life is that his spirit so control me that everywhere I go, I represent the kingdom of heaven because the gift that has been imparted to me, I have the fullness of Christ Jesus living in me. And it just drives me, body of Christ. And I'm hoping that that drive in me will help some of you kind of confront where you are. I, uh, in ministry, I get to meet lots of people and I just love people. Good thing for that, right? I'm in ministry. I should love people. But there's a, a, fam, a friend of the family, and she was, uh, she's older now. She's actually in the hospital with dementia on um, hospice. And uh, I've known her since I was a little boy. And she's always had this broken life. But I remember even as a little boy, not a Christian, she always wanted to know Jesus and walk with Jesus better with her life. But it was a pretty broken family that they were in, too. And, and it was just one mess after another. I just remember growing up and and I got to see her because she's older again in hospice and she has dementia. And I've known her for years and she didn't recognize me at all. It, it was kind of sad. I just sat there and the nurse was like, do you remember him? And she's like, you know, no, she didn't remember me. And it just broke my heart. And as I was driving away there to go to the airport, I was just pondering. And I just felt like the, the Lord was saying to me is she had a chance to serve me. And she never got serious about it. And now it's too late. That shook me. It shakes me. It wakes me up. Literally, I want my life to count for the glory of God because what he has done has means so much to me. I didn't just get on a plane and go through everything to come here just to tell you some great stories. I wanted to come and encourage the body of Christ, especially you in Canada, uh, my, my brothers and sisters in Canada. God needs and wants, doesn't need. God wants to use you and your life matters to him. Some of you are getting a little bit older, and I want to make sure I give you one last story before I finish off here, because I think it's an important story. I just want to bring these personal things home to you. I had a chance to meet another young lady. She's 61 years old, and she has uh, cancer. And she was telling her story. Um, I visited her in the hospital, and she was telling me her story. She grew up in a very dysfunctional family. I mean, just broken. She just saw violence. Same thing, her mom getting beat up and just violence everywhere. And, and she, she, she says her nickname is much afraid. She's just afraid about everything. She said that she wasn't an attractive young girl, so the boys were not interested in her. And she was really embarrassed because they were so poor. And she just got kind of picked on and made fun of. You know, kids can be cruel. And, and she was a, she had a very, she said, a very gentle disposition about her. So that just things that maybe not bother me really bothered her. And uh, when she got into high school to make things worse, because of the stress of life, her face broke out really badly. And in high school, they gave her the nickname a pizza face just to make things worse. And she ended up going to a dermatologist taking care of that. And she'd never been on a date in her life. And at 18, about to turn 19, a beautiful couple from her church decided that they were going to set her up with this amazing Christian man. And so she went out on her first date. And there's kids in here, so I'm going to be a little bit careful. And he did something to her he shouldn't have done and ripped her heart out. And then he threatened her that if she ever said anything to anybody because he was in ministry, that he would kill her. And so she carried that for years. She said she tried to commit suicide. She was like, Father, I have nothing to offer you. One of the stories as a child that used to just move her heart was a story about the little boy who showed up and he just had some fish and bread. 
and loaves. And, and Jesus said, what do you have? And they found that. And she said, Father, I have nothing to offer you, but I give you my body. You're all mine. And when that innocence that she had given to the Lord as a living sacrifice was taken from her, she tried to commit suicide over 30 times. She said she didn't really want to. She didn't do it enough, but she was just crying out, Father, does anybody in this world love me? Does anybody in this world love me? And then as a, now she's 61 and she was just given a, um, she has terminal cancer. But I can tell you a beautiful part of the story because that's pretty heavy. She said, as I was sitting in the hospital, I just, out of nowhere, I heard grandmother. And she started remembering her grandmother who died when she was young. Her grandmother had become a Christian in her older age and she said grandmother's life was radically transformed. She was so kind and so compassionate. She saw my suffering. And I remember as a little girl, I could always put my head on grandmother's shoulders and just cry. And she would just love me and hold me so tenderly. And I just felt like I was safe in that moment. But I forgot about that in my suffering. And then I felt like as I was contemplating grandmother, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. And she didn't say it was in an audible voice. She just felt like it was an impression, like a story made sense to her in her heart. And she said that the Lord said, my dear, I know this suffering seems hard and it is hard. But my dear, I needed to give you compassion because there are going to be people in life that have no shoulders to cry on like you got to cry on your grandmother's. And I allowed you to, to taste such bitterness of suffering so you could hold people all the more tender. I want to encourage everybody in here is no matter what your story is, no matter what your age is, what I know from her story. And, and here's the other thing I need to tell you about her. I have never met a person with more joy in the last year of her life than I have ever met in this woman. But what I want to encourage you, just like my story, God wants to use every one of you, whether you're young or old, but what he's looking for is obedience. I have a lot more I want to say. I'm trying to make, because kids are in here today, I've really made this a, um, probably a rated light PG. There's so many more things I want to say, but I'm going to pull some of it out because the kids are here and my heart's for them. I believe the Lord is coming back soon, but if you should wait a thousand years, guess what? It's these kids that I have to hand the baton on to somebody one day because at some point I'm going to age out of this. I just can't keep going into these dangerous parts of the world. I've got to pass this on. So when I see kids in here, I'm just so excited about that because they really are. We got to look at the next generation and quit throwing stones at them. We got to look at the next generation and realize that we can speak in their lives because they're going to push us around in our wheelchairs one day. So I would probably quit insulting them. Sorry about that. That's my attempt at humor. My daughter does say this, dad, if you have to explain your humor, you're not really that funny. <clears throat> You know, I'm not teaching a workspace message this morning. It's not my goal at all. That if you just act like a better Christian, if you'll just go to Sudan or go to Syria, then all of a sudden God will pour favor on you. That's not what this message is at all. That's not it at all. Because all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will suffer. Hardship has come my way. I am tired of death. I am tired of war. But I can't stop. I just can't. I'm just compelled to go forward. And the reason I'm compelled that's not out of a works-based approach is because what Jesus has done in my life so drives me to go anywhere to bring that same example of love to people that are suffering. And I know in here, as I look out, I don't have the gift of discernment. I don't have a prophetic gift. I, I look out and I can't tell where you are. Seriously, in my, my simple mind, I look out and I just assume how you all look that you guys are the most mature Christians ever. That's literally how I look out. But I know it's not true. And I know some of you in here are suffering and some of you in here are, are really wrestling even with your walk with God. Some of you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't know how to let go. 
and I'm trying to encourage you this morning, it's, it's not about a feeling. Nothing about Christianity starts with a feeling. It ends with amazing feelings. When you have that moment with the Lord, and I, I know some of you have experienced it. I've had it on plains. I've had it on mountains. I've had it in war zones where all of a sudden the spirit of God just becomes so alive. That's so amazing. But doesn't mean that there aren't other hard things. But I want people to be able to experience the love of God in a world that is just so at each other's throats. I don't want to get political here, and I refuse to, but I do want to say something, and I'm glad I'm in Canada. I use this in America when I'm there a lot more because a gentleman I was speaking to, um, Canadians, we love Canadians. I just want to let you know, every Christian I know in America loves Canadians. And the reason is, is because we actually think you're the nicer brothers and sisters of us. You guys, Canadians are nice. Every Canadian that I've ever had to work with me or I've ever spent with are nice. Even your your MMA superstars are so polite and just so respectful. I'm from California. I'm not that way. No, it's kidding. I'm going to skip on. I think I've pushed enough there. Uh, there's a video I'm going to leave, and I, I can't I can't leave that today. I can't leave it today, but in the video, when you actually get to see it, it's uh, it's out of Syria. Thank you so much. It's out of Syria. We're doing work in Syria. I'm here to talk to you about Afghanistan. I'm going to start my message in about an hour from now. But in Syria, it's a still really bad place that we're living in. And one of my brothers, we change names, we change identities. We have to because in our world, the loose lips don't just sink ships. Loose lips in our world kill people, and we have a an amazing group of committed believers that have stayed in in Syria. And there's a video that we have. I I just got to meet with Danny um, in Texas. He got to fly in from the Middle East and I got an update and we're working on that video. I'll send it to you, Pastor, so you can share it with everybody. But in the first video, they talk about when the war broke out in Syria, when it really got bad, they got together and said, hey, you have the right to leave this country with your family if you want to. But let's take a few days and pray because if the light leaves, all the light leaves, all the salt and light leaves Syria, where's the light and salt going to be? And so they went, they went a week, they prayed and fasted. There were 12 people in the room. And when uh, Danny got back, he expected maybe four or five, 25 had showed back up that decided they would, 25 representations of family. So it's, you know, the whole family, including children, they decided that they were going to stay. But one of the things that came out of that meeting was we're Christians in Syria and if a christian is killed in syria they cannot be nobody's going to take care of their body they're not going to place them in a in a muslim cemetery and so they said what can they do and so they got their measly money they were not they're very poor church they pulled everything they could and they actually bought a little plot of ground and they actually built a graveyard so that if any of them gave their life serving jesus in syria they would have a place that they could rest and until they were and a place that they could rest And when I was with Danny the other day, he just joyfully threw his arms up. I have this on video. And he said, please tell them that the graveyard is still empty. And I just want to encourage you. That's the kind of people that I get to hang out with. They're in the face of danger. They're in the face of starvation. Half my team in these countries go days without eating. It's just the craziest thing. And yet he raises his hands and they worship for the fact that the graveyard is still empty. That Christians have, his uh, his team had not been killed. And what I know by the world that I live in or serve in with between whether that's Syria, Afghanistan, or many of the other nations is that the greatest treasures are always where the dragon lives. 
I know you don't usually hear that from church, so I'm going to say that again, but the greatest treasures are always where the dragon lives. I know, uh, I know you guys have probably watched a couple Hollywood blockbusters, but even Hollywood gets that. It, wherever that dragon is, that's where all the gold is. And, and, and the person who has to go and face that, it's, it's, it makes up this entire movie. But from a spiritual perspective, the Bible tells me that we have an enemy and he's called the dragon of old. And I want to encourage you is the very things that seem the ugliest are exactly where the greatest treasures are. And why we run into Syria? Because we have found diamonds that we would have never known. People that love Jesus probably more radically than I do. When we get to go in these places, and I want to encourage you too, is that some of the situations in your life, some of those family issues, and I'm not telling you that you need to expose yourself to toxic people. That's not it. But as Christians, we are always looking at those people because love hopes all things. And I want to encourage you is that the greatest treasures are always where the dragon lives. Where you don't want to go is probably exactly where God can use you the most. In 1996, a group of pastors from America heard about the atrocities and suffering in South Sudan. And uh, my, my best friend and founder of our ministry, Wes Bentley, former Marine, spent a lot of time um, in the field. He was so good with a long rifle that he was actually going to, they, they wanted him to go to the Olympics to uh, actually shoot. But he didn't want to do that. He, before he knew Christ, he wanted to actually become a, uh, a hired gun and just go to any country and just kill people. And the Lord radically got a hold of him. But because of his background, these pastors got a hold of him. He was actually serving in Russia at that time. And he was going around when the walls came down. He was going into the prisons, which you can't get into anymore. And tens of thousands of people were coming to the Lord. And he gets a call. And they said, Wes, we, because of your background, we need you to go in and do some reconnaissance in uh, South Sudan and figure out what it would take for us to land a plane in there and, and bring in relief. What do we need to do? So he prayed about it. But different than most people pray about it, Wes believes that if God has given him the skill set and opens up the door, his responsibility is to say yes and go through it. And if God doesn't want it, God will put a check in his spirit. So he prayed about it, but he was already making plans to go because he knew he had the skills and God could call him and use him for this. And I want to encourage you for that too. Sometimes we pray too much. If God is telling me to go to Southern California and I go to Southern France and I'm really seeking the Lord, I just love him so much. I'm going to tell you something about your father. He's not going to be mad at you. He's actually going to be thankful that you took a step of faith to walk out. And if he wanted you in Southern California versus Southern France, he'll get you there. But Wes got in a plane and went into the bush. He spent about three weeks in there uh, figuring out where the enemy was encamped. He radioed out and they were able to land in a plane and the rest is history. But Wes uh, got back to America after that time and he said he just needed a break. He was just, it was hard. It was death everywhere. You could just smell death everywhere. It was, it was terrible. And he said when he got back to Southern California and he was just spending some time with the Lord, he said, Father, thank you. That was one of the most amazing experiences of my life, but I never want to go to South Sudan again. And now what Wes will tell us as a staff is that if God calls us out of South Sudan, he's learned that if God speaks that he needs to be obedient because God knows what he's talking about. But he says this, he says, God will break my heart though. What I want to encourage you is the things that sometimes we're pursuing God gives us the desires of our hearts. And sometimes we're pursuing these things and it's just not working. We feel this emptiness. It just doesn't answer. And when we surrender to God, a lot of times the things that we're looking for, we have no idea. But when God opens up a door and you take a step, all of a sudden you find out what the desires of your heart would be. I started out not in South Sudan. I started out at 19 years old teaching second grade Sunday school. 
I had no idea that I, that it would take where God would just let me loving on these little children that one day he would have me lead a ministry that is going in the most dangerous places. And I'm not saying that's for you, but what I can tell you is dad, mom, whatever God has in front of you right now, you just learn to be faithful and quit trying to pursue these bright, shiny objects. Quit trying to pursue your emotion. Just get so good at what God puts in front of you. And what God might put in front of you is something you don't know. And everything is difficult before it becomes easy. But God is going to use that to expose you to a set of skills that he can now, then he can at some point take and use you somewhere else. What God has put in my life, if it's hard, I used to not want it. I don't know. You ever have that to-do list and it's the hardest thing that you got to do. It's easy to put that off. What God taught me in my life is the greatest lessons are in the hardest things. And so when my to-do list comes together, I attack the hardest things first because that's the area I don't want to do, which means that's where my gaps are. And I'm going to be more useful as a husband, as a man, as a, as a Christian. I'm going to be more useful by being able to be brave enough to go. By the way, bravery was not my first name. God had to prepare me for that. I, I'm telling you some pretty brave stuff, but I was I could have never imagined when I was 19 years old that I would ever stand in front of anybody in my entire life because I was too afraid. I was so afraid of what people would think to me that I would get so nervous, it would be terrible. And God in his sense of humor has me standing in front of people because that's the other thing I know too, is when God gives you something big to do, He's going to give you something big to do that you will take no credit with so your heart remains humble to him so he can actually do the work that he planned on. I want to encourage you with that. One of the greatest gifts as a dad that I ever gave my children was the gift of courage, the gift of encouragement. And today I'm going to shift a little bit. I don't want to do any browbeating at all. I want to give you guys the gift of encouragement, the gift of courage. That's what we need going in this world. Christianity's changing. We are a less popular group of people. I got to vote when I was 19 years old, and in America, Ronald Reagan was president. It was almost cool to be a Christian. Um, it's not cool to be a Christian in America anymore. In fact, it is turning against us so aggressively that we're looking at plans. What do we have to do if they try to take away our nonprofit status? Those are things we're doing. But what I do know that the Lord has said is that's what's normal for Christianity. But it is in the greatest darkness that we shine the brightest. It is in the greatest darkness that we shine the brightest body of christ hear me and, and again i'd want to say this right but my heart aches i literally have a heaviness on my heart it's not a heaviness that slows me down it's an agony that drives me to prayer i, I sit on planes and i spend a lot of time in the word i spend a lot of time praying over the church it's just it, it just it's a passion for me but my heart aches for the Christian that one day is going to realize the kind of life, the kind of impact they could have had on their world, and they didn't. And I want to exhort you as I'm coming to a close, a couple more minutes that I want to put here, but I just want to encourage you, don't let that be your story. In the name of Jesus, don't let that be your story. Live your life if you believe. For those of you who know Christ Jesus, if he means something to you, if this is real, no matter what it takes to cast off the cares, to cast off the, the double-mindedness, to cast off the, the things that slow you down, pick up your anchor, whatever it is, whatever season it takes, in the name of Jesus, live your life because one day it's going to come to an end and your life matters. It matters. 
I have enough work to do versus just traveling around. But Wes, when we're in, when we're in the U.S., we will travel anywhere to try to encourage the body of Christ to rise up and glorify the King as the days get older. And I know that with a ministry like ours, I really do have an Afghan story, but a ministry like ours, many of you are going to want to get involved. And I want to say this with the pastor sitting right here. I have some ways for you to get involved, but hear me on here. I did not come to hurt this church. Your first ministry is this church and this community. And when I was a brand new Christian, my pastor, I went to a really neat church. He's just a dynamo. He retired. It's just hard on me. He's been my pastor for so many years. But I didn't want to get close to him because I thought for sure that Pastor Mike was such a man of God that if I got close to him, he could read my mind and he would know my past. And I was so embarrassed. And what I found out is that he's just a man like your pastor and me. We're just men. These are our calling. He couldn't read my mind. He wasn't going to judge me. He was going to love me. And the other, the other thing I thought when I was a brand new Christian, I was about as ignorant as they come. I actually just kind of went, you know, I have to go to work, practically speaking. I got to go to work because, you know, I got to pay mortgage. I have a family. I have all that stuff. But at church, clearly, if God's doing something, there's a tree somewhere where money falls from. I can tell you something, and I could probably hear an amen from pastor, is that there is no tree. What I know about God is that he has used a donkey and he has used a burning bush. And you know who he uses the rest of the time? Us. And I want to encourage you with that, is that your first place to tithe is always your church. I don't want you to go after bright, shiny objects and hurt this church because this is the light in this community and we cannot forget it. If you are interested and you're being faithful at church with your tithe and you want to get involved in us, I'm just going to be very practical. I need your prayer. I really do. If the, and I'm not asking you to write my name on, on your uh, refrigerator or on a piece of paper in your Bible. But if the Holy Spirit wakes you up and you have just a, a knot in your stomach about our ministry, pray because there's a really good chance that somebody's in danger. And in fact, my team is in danger right now. As I'm talking to you, I have a whole group of people. I'm the, I'm the POC. I had to stay on this side because if something goes bad about what's going to happen, I got to keep running our ministry. And it's hard because I'm supposed to be there. But at the last minute, I had to just say, Father, I've got other skills and I've got to drop out of this one. But I can tell you that what, where I'm standing right now, I've got brothers right now that are in harm's way to go out and try to rescue those who are suffering. It just means a lot to me. If you want to get involved, I didn't come here for you to take care of me. I didn't come here for that. I actually came here for two, with multiple reasons, but as I'm closing this, what, and if the worship team wants to start to come up, I came here because I want to encourage you guys to just let it all go, whatever weight is slowing you down. I also wanted to encourage you by example that God is still working around this world. But I also came to make you jealous to want to bear good fruit. In fact, if you see where fruit is starting to be born, bear good fruit, because the Bible tells me this. Are you okay, Pastor? I got a couple, two more minutes. Scripture, well, I'm going to pass on that too so I can get into the rest of this one. But it's not that I should bear good, uh, bear fruit, it's so that you should. And I want to encourage you with that. I don't need your help, but in fact, I don't want it. I came here on my own because I wanted to be an example to you guys. But if you are interested in getting involved in it, don't try to take care of me. Don't try to take care of anything. Look at a way that we, when we can get the doors open in South Sudan to get your pastor there and get a team here. Because we have a Bible college there and we need 100 pastors from the U.S. and, and Canada to come over each year. It's not easy. Uh, they are well protected. You guys will have to pray, but I'd rather you guys do things like that. If you are interested in getting in support, again, please don't help me. I just need, to, I just want to love on you. I'm good. 
I, I would say take care of our chaplains. This is the most recent class I graduated. If you'd like to, everything that you give to the ministry for the chaplain, 100% of it goes to them. The other area that moves my heart is because I am the director of ghost operations. That's my 600 underground pastors that are in, you name it. We're even about to uh, make some news of, of, about a country that will cause many people to celebrate that we actually have people in there now. I can't, ex I can't say that now, but the, the ones that I brought today are predominantly going to be Afghanistan and Syria. So if you are interested, I can help you with that. I have Abigail here. Their names have been changed clearly. But we actually, in where we serve, we can't. We have to have women who will stay behind to be ministry workers. Because in Muslim countries, if a man walks up to a, a Muslim woman, uh, both of them are going to be punished if not killed. And so we have ladies who have stayed behind to make sure that the gospel can go to other women in that country. I... I I am such a tiny little ant in the comparison to the people that I get to serve. It is just so humbling. And then Wes asked me to bring this too, and I just love Wes's heart. We've got so much going on. Um, gosh, so much going on. But even in, uh, in former Soviet Union, um, we deal with a lot of former communists who are now older and they're starving. And when you walk into their place, they have no food in the refrigerator. This one lady that I was there opened up a refrigerator and she had a dried out fish head. That's all she had. She had eaten for days and we just can't do that. And I just love Wes's heart on that. So if you're interested, you can see me over there. We can talk about it. I have US dollars, Canadian dollars. We can worry about that. Uh, but please see me over there, but please be faithful to your church here. I am here to inspire you to love on Toronto. This is your Jerusalem. And yes, we are all called to go to the other parts of the world. We have a responsibility for local and global so whatever the Lord does, I'm going to finish with the story. And if, the, again, the worship team wants to come up, uh, I just want to give you an update on Afghanistan. I had a story to tell you, but I don't get to do that. Besides what's going on in Syria, besides what's going on in Burma, we just had one of our underground churches. They just had 12 of their um, people in their church killed uh, just because they're Christians. We, the, the, the Christians are just being slaughtered in Burma, which you guys probably know is Miramar, um, Burma, Miramar. Uh, one of our groups, we sent in about 50,000 U.S. dollars to get some food into a group of people. They were bringing that in there, and the uh, the, the Muslims found him. And uh, the person alive is one of our guys. They shot him in the head, and it grazed his skull. Like he's got a big gash there and even took out part of his bone. It's pretty tough stuff. But the rest of our team was killed. Uh, if that isn't enough, we have Nigeria and everything. But I want to tell you about Afghanistan. It is a worst-case scenario. We are recording, Pastor. Okay, so I'm going to be a little bit more read through the lines a little bit. We have, uh, what we do, we get to meet some incredible good people and I get to see the ugliness because I watch the news too, right? But we have some former special forces, um, intelligent community people, we have former um, FBI, we have all kinds, and even current. They're just the amount of people that I am seeing that love Jesus that are involved in those aspects of the US government have all raised their hand and volunteered to go and do something that's pretty, pretty amazing. We have, 22 uh, pastors there in, in Afghanistan, plus we've been called by Samaritan's Purse and others because they've got hundreds of people too, and we're trying to do that. And then you take those 22 ministry workers and their families, it's pretty big. And then when you take their church in, in Afghanistan, obviously they got out most of the Americans, not all of them. They got out a lot of the people who helped uh, US and Canada during the war, but not all of them, but the one group of people completely forgotten are the Christians. And even during the 20 year war, the suffering for Christians has been amazing. We have doctors over there. And when we first put out a call a couple weeks ago, because we had intel that this was about to happen, 
all of our doctors said, no way, we will not leave because people are going to suffer and we know Jesus and we can, we can bring healing to those that are suffering and just an amazing group of people, but it really heated up. And so we have about uh, 14 people we were able to get out. We still have a lot more. We have a couple hundred more we need to try to get out. We got them to the airport, got a couple people in. Um, one lady, her husband was killed last year. She has three teenage daughters and a son. Uh, she was trying to communicate with us. She was really scared because the Taliban, what they'll do to her daughters. They took her son and beat him pretty badly. And then we lost contact with her. We told her to get by a certain gate and then suicide bombers. And the Marines that were killed there, uh, one of the guys on our team was friends with most of them. So we got some pictures that I can't show you, but I got some pictures and I can tell you it was, it was worse case than you've seen on news. The pictures I've seen, the news did not represent what happened there, but we have not heard from her. So I ask that you would pray for that. But Afghanistan is a worst case scenario. We have presidents of countries that we're reaching into. You'd never think you'd have to do this. I thought I was just going to open up the Bible and preach when I got into ministry. We were dealing with presidents of countries in America. I have to, I have a whole list of senators I have to call on the way back to the airport to try to get some help. We need these P1 visas, but please be praying over the next two weeks. We're in what we call quiet mode. I'm not going to go much into that, but there are a group of people that love Christians in other countries so much. They're putting their families on hold. They're putting their lives on the line to go and take care of people who can't take care of themselves. And if I can encourage you, that's not our call. But if I have brothers and even my own team member that can do that, body of Christ, we can start loving those on the other side of the political aisle than us. I hate masks. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them, and I have to wear them all the time. But let me tell you the difference between me and maybe some of my brothers and sisters. This is not condemnation. I am a child of the living king. I represent, I am an ambassador to the kingdom of heaven. I represent, I am God's ambassador to the world. And I'll tell you something. I have freedom to speak my mind because I'm an American, but I would wear this mask every hour of every minute of every day of my life if I would be able to win people to the Lord. My job is not to go in there and slice division. My job is to bring healing and bring people together because at the foot of the cross, it's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I am so honored to be here. It's been a long journey, right, Pastor, for me to get here. And I get to spend the next couple hours with your pastors. They'd be praying. This guy is pretty cool. I can't wait to get to know him better. But I consider it an absolute honor to stand before you. And I know my message is a little bit tough. I, I cleaned it up a lot because the kids were here. Trust me, it was, a, it was a little bit rougher, but I really cleaned it up. But to stand here and watch your eyes and watch your head shaking and, and watching just the sweetness of you guys, I can tell you I don't get to see this in American church, so maybe that's why my, my message is a lot tougher. I see some really unhappy people, like they got baptized in lemon juice, and I gotta quit, we got to quit that too. So with that, I thank you. I bless you. I bless your steps. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour out your spirit. Give them clarity of thinking. Rise them up. God, if they are of one heart, one mind, and one soul, one spirit, what they can do for this beautiful place, will be spoken about in heaven. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.